So this last week, um, we started uh, this new series looking at mission. Uh, what does the mission of God mean? Um, how are we involved in it? Uh, what is our role in the mission of God? Uh, many of us are also going through uh, similar conversations in our life groups as we're processing together. What does it look like to, to not just be a church member, not just a church goer, but an actual missionary and ambassador for Christ in our context. Context simply being the space that we're in. What does it look like to be an ambassador for Christ in our, our places of work, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, um, even in the grocery store as we are in line looking at the, the, the checkout attendant and the miserable life that they are experiencing right now in their face, right? We had a good conversation in, in our group last week, a teenager talking about what, what does it look like at school, and another person saying this, this person was in line uh, in front of, uh, of me that just was ripping into the cashier, and, and so what, what is my role as the next person in line at the grocery store? to be an ambassador of Christ. I think we, we, we have places that, that are very obvious and others where if we were just aware of what it is that God wants for the space that we're in, what does new creation look like? What does restoration look like? What does reconciliation look like? Even in the simplest things of somebody having a bad day and a smile in that presence. And so our, our, our hope is it, over the next several weeks, our time together in, in discussion, time together in these gatherings will help equip us to be missionaries where we are. Not just churchgoers, not just church members. And so we're really looking at how our lives and our faith experience, because this is going to change our faith. This is going to stretch us and move us out of our comfort zones and put us in different chairs. And so our hope is that we're going to shift our thinking beyond ourselves and into what the mission of God is and what he's calling us into. And so we're going to explore what a mission-shaped life looks like. And I hope this stretches you. It's stretching me. I hope it makes you uncomfortable to the point where it doesn't break you, but just makes you a little bit uncomfortable as we think about who we are in the kingdom of God and what God is doing around us. So if we think about our daily lives, right, how we spend our time as individuals and how we spend our time as families and, and, and what we do with our time is important, right? We can waste our time. We can have our time directed on the wrong things. We can... Um, be completely distracted and, and busy ourselves. And all of that, how we spend our time, will have a huge impact on our mission and the impact that we have as Christ's ambassadors in the world around us. And many times, unfortunately, our religiousness as a way of spending our time can actually interfere with the mission of what God has for us. Oftentimes, our religiousness leads us closer to God, 
right? There, there are great religious practices that will help us grow closer to God. Our time in prayer, time of fasting, time of solitude. These are all practices that, that can help draw us into a closer relationship with God, allow us to hear from God in more meaningful ways, to, to experience him, him in new and fresh ways. There are religious practices of community that can help us grow closer to one another, closer as a church body. But there's also religiousness that can just become religiousness for the sake of the practice and not for the sake of the one that we're pursuing. And so when religiousness and religious activity is what is the, it becomes the goal itself, then we have lost sight of the mission of God. We've lost sight of what God desires for us. And so we have to make sure that we are focused on the actions that God wants for our lives and not just on the religiousness that maybe makes us comfortable or routine or the way we've always done it. Because God wants for us and desires for us righteousness, not religiousness. He wants us to live righteous lives, not religious lives. And righteous is one of those churchy words that I, I had to go look up, right? It's like one of those words that we, we throw around so much that it, it just loses its meaning. Right? So righteous is just right behavior, acting rightly, acting the way God wants us to act, to, to live morally, to live ethically based on a certain set of rules and truths, right? And so for us, the kingdom of God and the mission of God defines what right living is. And so what does right living look like toward God? So we're going to start in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Oftentimes, we, we move from passage to passage to passage, and as we said last week, we're going to stick with this passage over the course of the six weeks of this series, and we're going to spend time with it in here in our gatherings, we're going to spend time with it uh, in our life groups, and any other time that I'm talking to any group of people over the next six weeks, I'm going to be using this passage. So launch team, we're using it tomorrow night as well, spoiler alert. So you have a piece of paper on your chair when you came in that has this passage on it, okay? And if not, there's some, there, there, find one of those. I want everybody to have that piece of paper, okay? I'm going to read it out loud, so you don't, have to, you don't have to see it. I want you to hear it more than anything, right? And this is where I jump off the ledge and say, we're going to do something completely different this morning. I'm going to read this passage slowly. And I want you to listen to this passage with ears to hear what God is telling you. What stands out to you in this passage? Listen for this. Actively listen to what God is saying as we read this passage, hear the word of the Lord. God, would you speak to us this morning 
Would you allow us to hear? God, would, would you give us an imagination for, for what this, this passage is telling us? How it's speaking to us, God, as, as a body this morning. Give us ears and a heart to hear. The word of the Lord. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is plain to your conscience. We're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than in what is in the heart. If we are out of our minds, as some say, it's for God. If we are in our right mind, it's for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and has raised was raised again so from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regard, regarded Christ in this way. We do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin, so, sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. Amen. And so as we read through those words, what is it that you hear? What captures your imagination? It doesn't have to be something incredibly profound. It doesn't have to be scholarly. What strikes you about this passage? So we are going to move around a little bit. How many of you are introverts? Raise your hand if you're an introvert. Okay, I beat you all on the introvert scale. So this is very uncomfortable. Yes, yes I do. I have the data to prove it. 
and you like data, so. All right, so here's, here's the thing. We are a family gathering together for a communal experience and, and, and an opportunity to be together, and so there should be no strangers in the room, okay? But there are strangers in the room. We don't know everybody, right? And so we're going to spend some time, just, just five, six, seven minutes, and I want everybody to find a reasonably friendly-looking stranger and share with one another what you heard in this passage. Just a couple minutes each, right? Spend time listening thoughtfully to one another and hear what the other person is saying, okay? Now, we need to be good brothers and sisters to one another. We need to listen well to one another. There are visitors in the room who right now are panicked and looking for the door. There are introverts who are panicked and looking for the door. And so we need to be kind and gentle with one another and look for somebody who looks a little panicked and confused and help them with this process, okay? So everybody stand up. Now all of these chairs are in groups of 12 in rows of six. So you should be able just to turn a chair around. I want you to move the chairs, sit face to face, and talk to one another, right? Find a reasonably, looking, reasonably friendly looking stranger. Strangers. I know some of the relationships that you have and I know what a definition of stranger is. Look out for one another. Look for somebody who doesn't have somebody. Shepherds and life group leaders, please look out for someone that needs some extra attention. You should probably have to introduce yourself to each other because you found a stranger. Just six minutes each, in pairs. You're in pairs. Not five, six, sevens, and eights. You're in pairs. Each person share what you heard, what caught your imagination, what stood out to you. Listen well to the other person. All right, so was your stranger reasonably friendly? Okay, good, good. So we can be friendly with one another, even if we're strangers. Some of you did not go to a stranger. I know who you are. So... So the Word of God can speak to us by reading. The, the Word of God can speak to us through one another, right? So collectively, as, as a group, we are, are discerning what God is saying through here. We're hearing from others what God is saying. It doesn't have to be from up here to hear the Word of God. And so... Um, this is a practice that we're going through in our life groups for the groups that are following the guide. Um, there are a few extra steps uh, for sharing collectively uh, what, uh, what God is telling us through this time. Uh, but we don't need to be strangers in here, and um, hopefully you're hearing something from this passage that sticks out. And, and we're, we're going to be using this passage and have been using this passage each week and, and are kind of drawing different pieces out each week. So last week we talked about what it means to be Christ's ambassadors, right? And so in those last few verses there, it talks about being Christ's ambassadors. We, we, we spent some time looking at that. Um, today we're going to be talking about what it means to live in righteousness, 
Okay, this last passage here says God, uh, uh, verse 20, God, or 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Right? It talks about being the righteousness of God. And so what does righteous living look like for us? And, and to get a picture of that, we're going to go all the way back to the story of Abraham in Genesis chapter 18. And so Genesis chapter 18 um, Starting in verse 18, Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and what is just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. So back in Genesis chapter 12, God gives Abraham this promise, right? He says that all nations on earth will be blessed through him, through Abraham. And so the mission of God is, is to bring about restoration, is to bring about reconciliation, is to bring about new creation, and that can be seen from Genesis to Revelation. We see God at work bringing this about. But the mission of God's people is within that, and it can be traced back to this promise from Abraham, this promise to Abraham. The promise is made to Abraham that his people will be a blessing, and we are Abraham's people. And so the mission of God's people is to be a blessing to the world around us, a blessing to the nations. We're called into a certain way of being that's making a difference in the world around us. Living lives that are right and just. And so in verse 19, we see this, this story of Abraham where, where, where God chooses Abraham there's a, a moral demand on Abraham and Abraham's community and then God's promise to Abraham. So if we're going to look at Abraham as, as an example for what it means to be on mission, to be living out the mission of God's people, we see that the mission starts with faith in God and practical obedience to God. Abraham was told to teach his children and teach the household to keep the way of the Lord. Keep the way of the Lord. By doing what is right and by doing what is just. This phrase, way of the Lord, occurs a lot in the Old Testament, talking about what it means to live rightly toward God. It means that the community of God is a community that lives by a certain set of ethical standards the ways of God, so that God can fulfill his promises to Abraham and bring about blessing to the nations. And so our ethics, our way of behaving, our, our moral code, and God's mission are intertwined with one another. That our way of living, our way of being, is intertwined with the mission of God and his people. 
But to really understand the way of the Lord, we have to understand the context in which God is talking to Abraham in chapter 18. Because as God is talking to Abraham in chapter 18, he is in, it is in the context of this larger story of Sodom and Gomorrah. That Sodom and Gomorrah are crying out to God. There is an outcry, which is a cry of pain, a cry of help for those that are being oppressed and those that are being violated. It's the same word, this outcry from the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. It's the same word, outcry, that the people of Israel had when they were in slavery in Egypt. God heard their cry. He heard their outcry, their, their call of, of lack of justice, their cry of pain, their, their cry for help, their, their cry of being oppressed and, and being violated. And so as we look at Sodom, we see that Sodom represents in this story the fallen world. That, that through Scripture, Sodom stands as a representative of human wickedness. And the judgment of God that falls on evildoers. This is the context of the promise to Abraham. The people in or near Sodom were, were suffering so much that their cry for help was heard by God. And so in Genesis 19, or, or there's several places throughout the Old Testament where Sodom is referred to and talked about as an evil place. Genesis 19 refers to it as hostile, perverted, and, of, and, and full of violent sexual immorality. Deuteronomy 29 talks about the unbridled idolatry and the social evils that occurred at Sodom. Isaiah talks about the bloodshed and the corruption and injustice that happens in Sodom. Ezekiel talks about the arrogance and the affluence and the callousness toward the needy in Sodom. And so the story of Sodom and Gomorrah is not a story of homosexuality. The story of Sodom is talking about injustices and oppression and violence and human society at its absolute worst. That this is the worst society can be. This is the worst that a community of humans can be. And the cry of that oppression is being heard by God. And God says, my people will act rightly and my people will act justly. That the ways of the Lord stand in contrast to the ways of the world. The ways of the Lord stand in contrast to the oppression and the violence and the idolatry and the social evils and the bloodshed and the corruption and the callousness and the arrogance and the affluence of the world. The ways of the Lord are right and just. And God says, Abraham, through you and through your people, you will be a blessing to the world because you will act in my way. You will act rightly and you will act justly. 
And so the mission of God, uh, the mission of God is, is not just evangelism. It's not just conversion, but it is a moral transformation into the ways of God. That as a community of faith, the world will be different because of how we live our lives together, how we live our lives externally, how we live our lives in the context in which we find ourselves. And so for us to comprehend what it really means to live rightly toward God, it requires us to really think about and have faith in the miraculous, transforming grace of God. Because on our own, we cannot live rightly and justly. Now many of us, most of us, come from a faith background that says you have to act rightly to then be seen by God. Your relationship with God is now contingent upon how rightly you act. That's called legalism. And so we do not act rightly to deserve God's love. We don't act rightly to define our relationship with God. That God's grace is given to us. And through the transforming work of his grace, we now have the ability and the calling to act rightly. To act the way God calls us to. Do you see the difference there? It's the same behavior with a totally different motivation. That, that we don't say we are, are now grace-oriented and now throw away right living. That as the people of God, he calls us to a certain moral standard, to a certain ethic, and he, he, not, not because he wants us to earn a place at his table. That place has already been earned by the cross. But because of the cross... We have a place in his kingdom. We are heirs to the kingdom. We are sons and daughters of God. And to be a part of that family, he says, you have a certain calling on your lives. You're at the table, but you know, we all have that cousin, right? Who's at the table, but not behaving the way they should be behaving. You're, Sean, yeah, Sean's like, I'm the one. It's me. Sean's at the table with us. You know, we all have the place at the table is always there. The, table, the place at the table is given to us through Jesus. But if we're to fulfill the mission that God has given us, he calls us into a certain way of being. And he says, act rightly and act justly. And for each of us, that's a lifelong pursuit of really understanding what God is calling us to, to live rightly and live justly. And that's where our religiousness now becomes valuable. Because our, our practices 
toward God, our practices toward others. Help us to learn. Help us to grow. Help us to understand more deeply what it means to act rightly and act justly. If we were to read Genesis chapter 18 through a missional lens, we could read it this way. What is God's ultimate mission? To bring about blessing of the nations as promised to Abraham. And how will that be achieved? By the existence in the world of a community that will be taught to live according to the way of the Lord in righteousness and in justice. Commentary says, this, says it this way, the community God seeks for the sake of his mission is to be a community shaped by his own ethical character with specific attention to righteousness and justice in a world filled with oppression and injustice. Only such a community can be a blessing to the nations. And that's why Jesus spent so much time teaching his disciples a new ethic, a new way of being, what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. We see in the Sermon on the Mount and other teachings by Jesus and even just, just Jesus' example throughout the Gospels. A new way of being that will be a blessing to the world. And so the promises of Abraham are fulfilled through us as we live out the calling to live rightly and to live justly. Let's be standing. This is a time for us to spend together. We all have a place at the table. Our faith in God, our faith in the, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus gives us a place at the table, gives us this new calling, brings us into the family of Abraham and the mission of Abraham and we get to receive the promises to Abraham as well. And so this is a time for us to pray with one another, a time to be family with one another, seek somebody out for prayer, seek somebody out to, to encourage them to, to just give a smile. Hopefully there are a few less strangers in the room today. Move to the tables and spend time at the table with your family or with your friends or, or with your life group or by yourself if you, if you feel that that's what you need right now. This is a time for us to remember the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus through the taking of the bread and through the taking of the cup. And to remember this new way of life that we have and this calling that's placed on our lives because of that. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this time in the word. God, would you continue to speak to us through your word, through one another, through this family together. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for this time at the table. It's in his name we pray, amen.